All right, so uh, we're going to jump into it. And as Neil talked about, our new series over the next four weeks is called Messy Grace. And we're going to talk about all the things that you're not supposed to talk about, right? Not in polite company, anyway. We're going to talk about politics. See, I'm already, I'm already ringing and stuff like that. So uh, we're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about uh, sexuality. We're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about sanctity of life. And the reason that we're going to do that, you might think and look kind of over the next few weeks. See, it's already happened. All right. Uh, we're going to talk about those things. And you think, why, why are you stirring the pot? Like, why are you going to do that? Well, here's the reason why. Because the pot is already being stirred. Like, it's already kind of crazy, and you've seen that through the election cycle, uh, through the things that maybe in social media, you, you've seen, like, people are, are pretty upset, or they're divisive, or they have very strong opinions about all these kinds of things, politically, socially, wh whatever cause that you might believe in or think is most important, like, that, that pot is being stirred. And so one of the things that we have a responsibility for as Christians is to, is to decide, like, how are we going to interact with those issues? As Christ followers, as people who have experienced the grace of God, how are we going to extend grace in the midst of some of our most divisive and disunified issues, especially when we're not just looking outside of the church, and I'm talking about the big C church when it comes to the divisiveness and disunity, but we see that within the church as well. We see fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who we agree with or, or more specifically disagree with, and we see disunity even in the church. And so we're going to press into those things and discover that. A lot of us have different agendas. We have different things uh, as people that we find more important than, than other things. And, and you need to know, especially as a church that doesn't talk a lot about politics or a lot about political issues, that we have an agenda as well. It's just a little bit different than what most people have. Our agenda is Jesus. The thing that makes us angry, not that we're like an angry church full of angry people, you know, I mean, some of you are angry, I'm, I'm sure, like at some point, but not that we're a bunch of angry people or anything like that, but um, the thing that makes us upset is that there are people in this world who don't know Jesus. There are people in this world who actually have been turned off by church that don't want to know Jesus. There are people in this world that, that have just, just lost interest in the gospel because uh, because of all the other distractions and things that they see us being distracted about as Christ followers. And, and we hate that. We don't want that to happen. Our mission is to help people find Jesus and love God because we think that is the most important thing that can be done this side of heaven. It, it's for other people to come to know who Jesus is over and above any other issue that exists in this world. We are the ones who make things messy because we're the ones who come in with our own agendas. And how we treat our agendas as Christ followers and then how that affects the church determines our effectiveness in sharing God's agenda, which is grace. So we're going to call out the things that we get wrapped up in. And we're going to look, and the whole point of this series is to look at what God calls us to, not what God calls us to call other people out for. Our faith is not about what we call other people out for. It's what God calls us to, and the, what he calls us to is living in grace, even when it's messy. So to ease into things, we're going we're gonna to jump off and talk about politics, right? Because that's the, that's the thing that would all make us comfortable. And I just want to kind of set the stage for this and let you know, in this past uh, elect presidential election cycle, I, I voted. I did. I voted. And and I didn't vote for who you voted for. How do you feel? Are you feel like 
we'll have a blood pressure cuff out in the lobby for anybody. Or, no, we won't have that. But there, there might be some donuts left over. Maybe that'll like. What do you mean you didn't vote? See, like you don't know what my political views are. You you don't. I could be an anarchist, and you wouldn't know. So you're like, what? What in the world is this guy about to say? Like, what could it, what would his perspective be? Where where is that going? And think about how. How that, how that feels, like the tension that's in there. So I just want to acknowledge that and ask you to take a deep breath. And let me, let me share with you a couple of things that I love about this country. The first thing that comes to mind for me, and this may sound weird, is nature. I really like our nature. I like the fact that I can drive to the beach today or drive to the mountains. Well, you know, Blue Ridge are kind of more like foothills. If you've been out west, you've seen real mountains. But, but I love that. Like, I love our nature. One of the things I really like, because I've traveled around the world, is that it seems like, at least in the United States, there are less things that try to kill you in nature here than in other places in the world. You know what I'm talking about? Like we have three you know, different types of poisonous snakes. I've been in countries where you had to look in the toilet to make sure a cobra wasn't coming up through the piping. It's, it's that kind of stuff. Like I really appreciate our nature here. I, I like it. The other thing uh, that I really like about the United States is our food. Like, we just have access to so many di- different types of food. That's something that's really changed, actually, for Richmond over the last decade or two, uh, where, it, we like, there's a lot of great food, ethnic food that's around here. I know that whole melting pot thing is about people coming around the world, but, man, when I think of melting pot, I think about food, you know, in, in America, and I think it's great. I love that. I really like, I, I, I tend to enjoy freedom. Like, I like that idea. I've traveled enough around the world to see, like, the, the some of the... Um, overarching intentions about the, you know, from the founding fathers of what freedom should look like. And we, we we've, haven't always done that well in our history as a country. We've actually, frankly, done that really poorly at times in our history. But, like, I really appreciate the idea of freedom and what that looks like. I, I actually, um, you know, I really like rooting for the United States in the Olympics. Like, I feel this sense of pride because I really like athletics, and I think that's amazing. I don't know if any, any of you like watching the Olympics, but I just like to see the United States, uh, you know, stomp on the rest of the world, and I think it's great. I don't know if that is that okay that I, that I say that's a little too nationalistic, maybe. I I was. Uh, it's interesting though because there's sometimes that things happen in your life that that cause you to have a different perspective or cause you to rethink things and kind of shock you out of things that you've grown up with and just kind of have assumed in your life. And one of those times for me happened in the Philippines. Um, I've gone on a couple of mission trips to the Philippines, and this past uh, few years ago when I was there, I was preaching a sermon, and it was interesting because the way that they were doing, uh, they were translating, interpreting, you know, for for the message at that point is they would let you get up and preach in English because a lot of the people understood a little bit, little bit of English, and then they would get up and kind of summarize and translate for you afterwards. So the, the pastor of the church that was there would kind of come up and and give a summary. So the first thing I noticed that was kind of interesting is that the summary was a lot shorter than the message. And so I don't know how, like, how that worked out, and that, that was fine. But as I was sitting there, and I was listening and not understanding anything uh, that, that he was saying to the congregation, I noticed that there started to be some back and forth. Like, the congregation was asking for some clarification about something that he was saying. And he said at some point in English, and I don't know why he said it. I don't know if it was for my benefit or, or for somebody else, but he said, Oh, well, you know how Americans feel about their freedom. And, and that kinda, it kind of shook me a little bit. It took me aback. I was like, well, what kind of point is he making right there? Because he's, like, he's saying, oh, you, you know how Americans are. You know, and kind of rolling his eyes about this issue of freedom. And I think, freedom! You know, like, that's, that's the best thing in the world. How could anybody roll their eyes at my view of freedom? Like, what, what in the world is going on there? What's ironic about that? Here's the irony in that. 
my message was about the freedom that Paul talked about that we have in Christ, the ways that we're not shackled by culture and, and those things. And the reason, here's the irony of it, the reason that I shared that message is because I thought I saw an undue influence of Western American culture and church that have been brought over to the Filipinos that was keeping them and holding them back. And I'll give you one example. There were some churches there that didn't feel like they could use drums in their worship service. Now, that sounds a little weird and crazy to us, right? Because we'll rock it out, and that's perfectly fine. But, like, there were people that had come over and taught them that they should use drums. And so, you know, the irony there is I wasn't talking about my American freedom, but what happened there is I was hit in the face with this perspective of Christians, Christ followers, and other parts of the world that said, yeah, those Americans, you know how they are. They're always letting their culture influence how they live out their faith rather than their faith influencing how they interact with their culture. And that kind of stunned me for a little bit. Because while I knew that I wasn't doing that intentionally, I was like, man, how, how often does that happen? How often does that as Christ followers, do we let our culture influence how we live out our faith rather than our faith inform our view of our culture? See, the gospel is for every tribe and every tongue and every nation. It's not, not the American gospel. It's Jesus' gospel. And that's the one that we're supposed to be sharing. That's the grace that we're supposed to be extending to other people. Anything else placed before our identity in Christ is an obstacle to Jesus. And, and, I, and I see that, and, and I know that we, we don't all get that global view because not all of us are able to travel or have, have gone on mission trips and, and gotten that perspective, but, but it's not just the global view and idealistic view of who we are as Americans. We, we even do that on a national level as well when we look at each other and we divide each other by, by party line and say, well, I'm, you know, sometimes we don't say, well, I'm a Christian. We say, well, I'm a Republican Christian, or I'm a Democrat Christian, or I'm a Libertarian Christian, or I'm a Green Party Christian, or I'm a Tea Party Christian. Like, we have these political and party line identifiers that we use with what type of Christians we are, and we're never meant to do that. That's not what God calls us to. And the division across party lines are becoming even more sharp in our country in general, and even among those who claim. Christianity within the church. We'll make broad, sweeping generalizations and say stuff like, well, you know the liberals are this, and you know the conservatives that, and the libertarians, like, we don't want to talk about third party stuff. You know, they're, they're crazy, and we'll say things like that. And whether we know it or not, we're speaking about our brothers and sisters in Christ in pejorative ways that only achieve an alienating people who we should be calling family. I actually asked a handful of people here at Velocity to share their political views with me so that I could share them with you. And, and to, to do that anonymously, but um, I, I just wanted to give you and share with you just kind of the reality of a small cross-section of diversity of views that we have here. So, like, for the record, just so you know, we had Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians respond to that. And I know there are more views represented here than just those three, but that, those are the three that responded here. And I the craziest thing happened. They don't all agree with each other politically. Like I got, I asked them all the same four questions and I got different responses. And I know you're kind of blown away from that. And it's not like, it's not, you know, it's not first service versus second service or anything like that. Like, you know, we're all intermingled and mixed in here together. But you know what they did agree on? 
is that what unifies us as Christ followers is greater than what divides us politically. And I just want to share, like, as a pastor of a church, like, this is, this is what I was really hoping would be the response that was given. I didn't know what I was going to get, right? I didn't, I didn't ask people to respond in a specific way. But without fail, everyone who responded to this had the same conclusion about what it looks like to choose to follow Jesus over any party affiliation or ideology that we have. And here, here's the thing that I want us to do as Christians when we think about politics and the church and how we handle our faith among each other. I want us to hear the heart of our brothers and sisters who see the plight of the refugee and can think of nothing other than Jesus' words to do, others, do to others what you would have them do to you. I want, I want you to hear their heart. Now, I don't want you to be thinking about any kind of political ramifications or any, any other ideology that fits into that or any other you know, machinations that you think that, that come into that. I just want you to hear the heart that people have for other people and how that informs their political view because of what Jesus said. I want you to understand the desire. And this is not just for us here at Velocity. This is for the church, the global church, the Big C church. I want us to understand the desire of our brothers and sisters who want God's authority to be recognized in how we govern. Understand that we have free will and understand that legislating morality is like, that's a, that's a tough topic and thing, but they want God to be honored in every area of our life. And I, I just want you to understand and appreciate that, even if you disagree with it politically. I want us to acknowledge as Christ followers that messy grace is inevitable when following Jesus was never designed to be legislated, but shown through our relationship. So messy grace looks a lot like this table and chairs. It's you and I being willing to sit down and be in relationship and speak face-to-face with people that we are diametrically opposed against when it comes to our politics or it comes to our social ideology. That this, this is what being part of the family of God and being brothers and sisters in Christ looks like, is that, that we don't end the conversation with somebody who's getting up and storming off and being angry and, and us like never talking again. It, it looks like us sitting at this table daily, week in and week out, and saying the most important thing that's going to exist between us is Jesus, and that's going to be the foundation of our relationship and how we live out our faith. One of the things that, that I asked these folks is, is I asked this question. I said, if, if you were sitting across the table from somebody in this church that you knew disagreed with you politically, what, what is the one thing that you would want them to know about how you view them or how you feel about them? What's the one thing that you want them to know and understand from you? And I want to read you some excerpts about what people said. Here's the first one. I'd want them to know that they are loved, that what binds us together in Christ has a much greater impact than our political ideology. Another person said that in this relationship, politics are really just the reality of, of our world and how we live in our faith. Politics should take a backseat to God's word every time. Another person wrote this. They said, I would want people on the other end of the political spectrum as myself to understand that I try to love and respect everyone and their political views, even if I do not agree with them. And the last one I want to share with you, um, they, this is part of what they said. They said, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter to me where you stand politically. What matters is where your heart is with the Lord. That, that's, the, that's the approach. That's what messy grace is. Even when we disagree with this, like, like that's how it's meant to be lived out. 
is seeing and understanding where the heart of the person is who disagrees with us, where that's coming from. And it's coming from God's word. I, I asked, the, the last question I asked is like, what are some of the scriptures that inform your faith in politics and how you live that out? And here are the, here are the scriptures that they gave. And you can, like, you can write those down or you can ask me for them later and I can send them to you. But, but like, this is, this is how people in our church, even when they disagree with you, they're, they're looking to God to guide them in how they're living out their faith, even in their politics. My favorite one is 2 Timothy 2.23, because uh, that's when Paul writes to Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels. <laughs> so I, I, I enjoyed that one, because their whole point is that arguing about politics is just not worth losing your witness for Christ. See, living out grace is messy when we realize it's worth it to allow ourselves to be challenged by the ways our brothers and sisters in Christ seek to honor God through their involvement in politics. Living out grace is messy when we realize it's worth it to allow ourselves to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry when our non-Christian neighbor holds sharply differing opinions from ours. And it's worth it for us to lose the political argument in order to win the spiritual influence that God calls us to have. And the credibility, the credibility of the church and by extension the effectiveness of the gospel is harmed when we instead objectify people based on their party affiliation instead of recognizing the complexities of life that lead us to hold the views that we do some, sometimes even as, as with much fervor as we would hold our religious views. I know this may come as a shock for me to say this, but you're never going to lead someone to Jesus by convincing them your political view is right and theirs is wrong. It's just, it's just not going to happen. The fact is, our political identifiers, Christ followers, unequivocally should be, I am a kingdom of God Christian. That, that, that's the political realm that I care about, is the kingdom of God that Jesus preached and taught and died for. That there is no room for transcendent political ideology outside of this identifier. And hear me, like there's no issue with Christians being involved with politics or having political opinions or primarily identifying with a political party. However, somewhere along those lines, your faith in God should offend your fidelity to political position. At some point, you and I should be willing to swallow our politics for the benefit of others being introduced to salvation in Jesus and discipling others to maturity in their faith. Now, I want you to just kind of picture a scenario in your mind. Think about a college campus, for example. Think about all the diversity of political opinions, social justice issues, causes that people are concerned about. And think about, like, what would it look like for me to live out my faith and share Jesus with people in a scenario like that? What would it take for me to put aside all the things that don't matter to make sure that I do put forth what does matter for eternity. And, and that's a reality. That's a real situation that each of us are faced with. It might mean not be on a college campus. It might be in our workplace. It might be in our family. But those are real places that we can make a difference. And this morning, I, I didn't want to talk about that conceptually. I actually wanted to um, introduce you to someone who does that uh, week in and week out. And so I've asked Christina Cavanaugh, who is a campus minister at BCU, uh, to come up and share uh, with you. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> as Robin mentioned, um, 
college campuses in the United States are very politically diverse and also can be very politically divisive. Um, in our ministry alone, we have you know Republicans, Democrats, uh, conservatives, and liberals, um, anarchists, socialists, libertarians. I mean, college students are very passionate about their politics, so they're all over the place with it. And um, as you can imagine, uh, last year's election cycle was just an incredibly stressful time for our campus. Uh, the day after the election in particular, um, I remember having a Trump supporter coming into my office and crying and was really upset about just some stuff around the election. And within that same hour, hour a uh, Hillary supporter came in and did the exact same thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that this, this sermon series sort of has us in a place asking ourselves, you know, how, what is the, what is the Christian response to different political ideologies and how do we balance this with our faith? And first I would just say, you know, um, I think that we need to be willing to converse with people, um, not just to be understood, but to understand other people and where they come from and their beliefs. When a student comes to me um, about politics and they're upset about it, um, most of the time, all they really just want is to be heard. By taking down our guards and, and just asking questions and being willing to listen, um, we can learn a lot about why people believe the way that they do. And um, I think that, you know, even though we may not agree, um, the gift of a listening ear um, opens the door uh, for us not just to understand them, but to, to sh actually share the love of Christ with them. Um, I, I can and I do tell them that, that God loves them, but I think that it speaks volumes um, to actually um, open the door for them to feel that love um, by me uh, actively listening to them and, and intentionally listening to them. Uh, secondly, I think that we must be willing, as Rob said, to um, you know put aside our politics for the sake of the gospel. Um, and students tie their, their politics and their morality very closely together, um, if not considering them to be one and the same. And if I approach them with that same um, ideal, I will lose them in a heartbeat. Um, my job isn't to make politicians, it's to make disciples. And the last thing that I would ever want to do as a Christian is to create barriers of entry to Jesus Christ by telling someone, you know, you have to be a Republican or you have to be a Democrat in order to be a Christian. Um, and uh, instead, we're simply called to, to make disciples and to share the truth and the grace of God's word with them. And that's why we're there on campus, um, to journey together with students regardless of political ideologies and hopes that they may find their hope in Jesus Christ. Um, I love that uh, Velocity uh, helps to support uh, Christian Student Fellowship in a couple different ways. We have jail groups that come and help them do food and, and events that they do and, and stuff like that, and they uh, raise support. I know some of you support them financially and that kind of thing. Uh, Christina's actually got a table out there. You saw that maybe as you came in about VCU. So if you have a student, Nova student that's on campus and want to get them connected with a great ministry, talk with Christina. Um, actually, their umbrella nonprofit that um, that supports them is connected with college campuses throughout Virginia. They have connections with North Carolina and stuff like that. So if you if you know of a student or have a friend or something like that that you know needs to get plugged into a great campus ministry, make sure you see her on the lobby. But I, I just wanted you to kind of see like what that looks like on a practical, pragmatic level, like what it causes us to do and how to live. And and we would be remiss, right, especially because we're in church, if if we 
talk about politics, but we don't talk about Jesus' view on politics. And you might not think of Jesus as being much of a political figure or talking a lot about politics, but actually it was kind of a regular part of his ministry. There was no separation of church and state. There, there was no idea of secularism as Jesus is interacting with and dealing with uh, religious leaders uh, of the day who were constantly trying to trap him and getting to say something that he shouldn't, you know, something that could get him arrested or killed. And so Jesus deal, dealt with this regularly, but one of the more ingenious times, I think, not, you know, for the people who are trying to trap Jesus is they approach him and they try to trap him when they ask him about his opinion on taxes. Now, if there is ever a time where Jesus is going to screw up and say something he shouldn't, it would seem like it would be when you ask him his opinion on taxes. Because I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of in that, that mode where I'm, I'm just not a huge fan. So, I, you know, kind of thinking of the, you know, waiting for Jesus to say, well, don't tread on me, you know, or, or something like that. And, and that would be his response. And so these two, these, uh, two groups of people come up to Jesus, and this is Mark chapter 12 and starting in verse 13. And right after Jesus has just spoken this parable against the religious elite of the day, uh, two groups come to him, the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they come up to him and try to trap him when they ask him this question about taxes. Now, here's the thing that you really need to know about these two groups. Um, the Pharisees and the Herodians were mortal enemies. They were completely on the opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to their political and religious ideology. The Pharisees, if you will, were the religious right wing of the time, and the Herodians were the liberal left wing of the time. I mean, like, they, they were not unified, they were completely divisive, but there's one thing that brought them together, and that was the fact that the teachings of Jesus and the followers of Jesus caused their power and their influence over the people to diminish. That as Jesus went around teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God, they lost support. And so one of the things that they were, did agree upon is that the enemy of your enemy is my friend. You know, that, that, you know what, we, if we combine together and get rid of this guy, we can maintain the power that we have over the people. Not that, you know, Republicans and Democrats and those parties, not, not that they care about, you know, establishing and maintaining power you know, over the country or any, anything like that. Not that that would ever happen, you know, in the real world, just, just with Jesus in, in the Bible. So you think about the Republicans and Democrats being combined, combining and agreeing on this one thing, and that's that this Jesus guy's got to go. So they come up to Jesus, and in verse 14, they say, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? This is so disingenuous. Like, they don't think about him in this way. They don't respect him at all, but they're trying to butter him up to get him. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He says, why are you trying to trap me? He asked, bring me a denarius and let me look at it, which is money for the day. They brought the coin, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. They were amazed because despite their empty flattery and attempt to catch Jesus and alienating one side of the people or the other, instead he gives this brilliant, simple response that puts both of them in their place. Because here, here's what they wanted to have happen. If Jesus had said, taxes suck, nobody should have to pay them, then the Herodians would have said, were you speaking out against Rome and therefore you need to be arrested and executed? So good, like everybody who follows the Herodians that are on that side of the thing, they, they've left Jesus and Jesus gets arrested. If Jesus says, 
no, you know, you should, you should pay your taxes. Like, that's the right thing to do. Well, everybody who followed the Pharisees and that side of the room would have said, oh, this is terrible because it's supposed to be God's kingdom. Like, he's the ruler and he's the authority, so we shouldn't have to, you know, be under these people. Let's, let's usher in the new age of the kingdom of, of Israel. He would have lost everyone. Instead, he says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. Here's what would have started to dawn on his audience. Is, is the time as kids when they studied the Torah and gone to the synagogue and they would have remembered their studying of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Because in 26 and 27, here's what God says. He says, let us make mankind in our image. Male and female, God creates, the Trinity creates us in his image. And so here's what Jesus is saying. And this might not be a really popular view, but, it, you know, hey, the government's got its name on it. If they're regulating it, if they're controlling it and stuff like that, sure, give it to them. That stuff doesn't matter. But you know what does matter? Is giving back to God's what is his and what is his is you and me. That, that really what matters here is, is, what is what has God's image. And that's people. And that's our relationships. And that's why it matters how we show grace to each other, even when we disagree, even when we're disunified. You see, for Jesus, there was no God and country. There was God, and that's it. Over anything else, over any other passionately held view, what mattered most was following God and pursuing his grace for other people. And so here's the deal. While I'm still going to root for the United States in the Olympics, and I'm still going to vote, and I'm still going to have a political ideology, I'm going to do my best to hand, hand, hang that on a biblical framework. And to the best of my ability, let that be led by the Holy Spirit so that I can be guided by the grace of the gospel when it comes to giving myself back completely to the one who created me, the one who died and rose again for me, and to recognize that other people are made in his image too, and his extension of grace to us is each other. That's what matters more than anything else. We're the ones that screw it up and make it messy. And so the way that we show grace in spite of ourselves is to let our kingdom theology outweigh our political ideology. And if you do, even in the mess and divisiveness of politics, grace will shine through. One of the reasons every week at Velocity that we take communion together is to be reminded of this, is that in the midst of anything else that we're going through in life, in the midst of any other cause or affiliation that we have, the most important thing is this, is that God sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and to be raised again as a living sacrifice for us so that we might be reconciled for him. That's what it looks like to give ourselves back to God, is to, to share in that same ultimate sacrifice of Jesus who gives up everything to make sure that people can get back to him. And that's what we're called into. That's what we're here for. That's what grace and messy grace looks like. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this time of worship. And we just ask that your um, Holy Spirit guide us and empower us to, um, to see how you want to move in our lives through our politics. How you want to impact culture and the people that are around us, even when we disagree. God, we thank you for your son, and we thank you for the unity that he brings us to at the foot of the cross.
In Jesus' name.